Welcome back to another edition of Screen Time with Rokan and Richard Roper. I'm Richard Roper. Rokan is on assignment. He'll be back soon. What we're doing this week is a special two-parter in part one. We talked about the best films of 2021 so far. In this special episode, we're going to take a look at my favorite streaming series and documentaries. But first, I want to remind you, the digital landscape is changing rapidly and to compete in today's business environment. You need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design and development, e-commerce to mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business success because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today to get started. Okay, so as I mentioned on the last podcast, part one, we looked at the greatest movies of the year so far. Now we're going to talk about the best series and documentaries of the year to date. We call this the halftime report card. And uh, man, there's been so much great stuff out there. People ask me all the time, what should I watch? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I have so many recommendations. So far this year for my home newspaper, the Chicago Sun-Times, and you can get all my written reviews at uh, suntimes.com. Just search for me. I have reviewed a total of 190 movies, TV shows, documentaries, etc. 190, which puts me on pace. Let me do my math that I learned from St. Jude the Apostle Grammar School. That puts me on pace for 380 reviews, which I think would be the all-time record of most material reviewed in a single year. It's not just the theatrical releases, of course, as you guys know as consumers. There's just so much stuff out there. It's impossible to keep up with all of it, but I try there's probably another hundred or so uh, smaller films or documentaries or series or films. I watch them, but I don't review them for one reason or another. There's only so many hours in the day. And then sometimes I feel if it's a smaller film, why am I going to draw attention to a film? Just and I don't like it. Why am I going to draw attention to the film? Just to tell you guys, don't see it. The good news is I get to share with you my thoughts and feelings and recommendations about all the great stuff out there. So, we're now going to take a look at the best series and documentaries of the year to date. I want to start with Blind Spotting. You can catch this on Stars, and this is another example, and we've seen this quite a bit lately. Certainly, we've seen it from Disney Plus and other entities where they'll take a movie and do a spinoff or a sequel, but it's actually a series instead of doing it as a straight theatrical sequel. So, Blind Spotting is the sequel to the 2018 badass breakout hit from David Diggs and Raphael Cassell about these two guys in their home neighborhood in Oakland, and it's it's got this sort of beat style to it, spoken word. It's not quite a musical, but they break the fourth wall, and it's really, really cool if you haven't had a chance to see Blind Spotting. The series picks up six months after the film with uh, Jasmine Cephas-Jones reprising her role as Ashley. Now, Ashley is the longtime girlfriend of Miles, who was played by Raphael Cassell. Beginning of the series, Miles gets hauled off in cuffs because he screwed up yet again. And he's going to go to prison. Now, Ashley and her young son have to move in with Miles' mother. And get this, Miles' mother is played by Helen Hunt, who is really playing against type here and is fantastic. She's kind of this aging bohemian figure who's got a couple of different kids from different husbands. And there's cousins and sisters and all these types of people coming in and out. Uh, Jalen Barron plays Miles' half-sister, Trish. She's a sex worker who works out of the house that uh, Jasmine is going to move into. So you've got this kind of, uh, you know, disparate group of characters. And some of them want to be there. Some of them don't. It's mostly about the struggles of a single mother who's got 
the father of her son in prison and he's going to be in there for a long time and she's got to figure out a way to make it and also keep him out of the trouble from the streets that got his father sent to prison in the first place. It's blind spotting. It's really cool at times, very gritty and authentic. And then there are like kind of cool dance numbers and switches in lighting and tone just like we got in the film. Baby, I'm so sorry. Found him flushing these. Do you want me to get you a toothbrush or a toilet no, I'm going to summer camp, baby. I'm going to jail. I don't know. What is our online banking password? Baby, I'm not going to yell that on the street. Happy New Year. Look, I called my mom. She said you and Sean can move over there with her and Trish. Hello? Hey! Are you staying? I'm going to figure it out. I can't survive too many days with your sister. I just want a new grill. Hey, girls. Like I'm on the raid. Probably figured this was going to be on my list of the best series of the year to date. Loki, we were just talking about how we get TV series that are spinoffs from movie series. And of course, Loki, Tom Hiddleston's Loki, when you first see him you know, in the Thor movies, the Avenger movies, he's a villain, but he's also a little bit of a Shakespearean comic relief type. He doesn't seem quite as daunting as some of the other villains, although he can be murderous. There's no doubt about that. But. Tom Hiddleston just infused this character where we love to hate him or we hate to love him. So I thought it was brilliant for Disney Plus to say, let's give him his own series where he's charged with being a variant. He's a guy who has screwed up the timeline and the timeline variance authority doesn't put up with that shit. You got to pay attention to the timeline. If you screw it up, you're going to screw up everything. So he gets locked up by Owen Wilson's Mobius B. Mobius, which is kind of great. And the compound almost looks like something from the middle of the 20th century, even though this is in some sort of parallel universe. And I love how Mobius B. Mobius essentially then teams up with Loki to help them track down another version of Loki. And it kind of plays almost in, at times like an 80s buddy cop movie. In fact, Owen Wilson, if you look at the mustache and the, the choice of wardrobe, he looks like he's trying to be... Uh, basically Nick Nolte from 48 Hours. You guys know about Loki. You've probably seen it. I think it's just wonderful, and it's gone off in a couple of different directions, brilliantly so. The timekeepers have built quite the circus, and I see the clowns are playing their parts to perfection. Big metaphor guy. I love it. Makes you sound super smart. I am smart. I know. Okay. Okay. We protect proper flow of time. You picked up the Tesseract, breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. Why me? I need your unique Loki perspective. Do I get a weapon? Nah. I also loved Hacks. This is an HBO Max 10-parter that's already been renewed for season two. I think it's sure to gain Emmy nominations for Gene Smart and for Hannah Einbinder, who is actually the daughter of Lorraine Newman, an original Saturday Night Live great. Uh, Hannah Einbinder plays Ava. She's a 20-something uh, stand-up comic and writer who's got a lot of talent but also a lot of attitude, and she's just been given a timeout on social media for some politically incorrect stuff, she says. So she gets a gig uh, writing for Gene Smart's character, Deborah Vance. Now, Deborah Vance, to me, was clearly modeled on Joan Rivers. She's a a comedian who was trailblazing, has done everything, and now has a permanent residence in Las Vegas where she's a legend, but she's also kind of doing the same routine over and over, hence the term hacks. Now she's got this young smartass who wants her to freshen up her material. This is a series, again, 
hacks on HBO Max that really knows Vegas. It really knows stand-up comedy. And it's a scathing satire of millennials who think they know everything. Let's take a little listen to a clip from Hacks. Thank you for coming tonight. Um, and please, when you're out there, when in doubt, laugh. And I beg you, don't let the standing ovation go longer than five minutes. But not less than four, because that's Celine's record. <laughs> the queen of Sin City herself, Miss Zephyrman. Thank you so much, Las Vegas. I love you. Another one of my favorite series and or documentaries from 2021 so far is The Kings. This is on Showtime. It's a four-part documentary series about one of the absolute top golden ages of boxing. We're talking about the 70s, the 80s, and into the 90s when Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hitman Hearns, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Roberto Duran were the kings. And they fought each other a bunch of different times in different weight classes. Each one of them had their moment in the sun. Sugar Ray Leonard became an icon after he won the gold medal at the 1976 Montreal Olympics. He also had this great telegenic look. He was smart and funny and charismatic, and people just loved him. He actually had some darker sides, as the series talks about. Thomas Hitman Hearns came from Detroit. Marvelous Marvin Hagler was a New Jersey guy. And, of course, Roberta Duran was in Panama. So there was a lot of international politics involved in certain things here. And Duran's resentment of the Americans and the great fights. And each one of them really has a compelling story. But the way they interweave all four of them in the four-part series, The Kings, is fantastic. Why do people box? There is a nobility in it. Boxing is a metaphor for life. Everyone's fighting for some. You see Ali's career, and you were looking for somebody to step into that void. The golden boy, the perennial underdog, the Latin American idol, and Mr. Detroit. The Four Kings gave us maybe the greatest period in the history of the sport. Boxing seems to always have a connection with the battles going on in life. Some series, they seem to take a hold of the audience like after episode one, halfway through episode one. And one of those, I think this year, one of my favorites as well, is uh, the mayor of Easttown with the great Kate Winslet completely losing her British accent and playing Mayor Sheehan, who's this uh, you know, the de- this uh, sheriff, this detective in a small town in Pennsylvania where there's a lot of shit going on. It's kind of like Twin Peaks only not quite as bizarre. You know, there's a lot of these series and limited series that are set in, you know, wealthy Manhattan or Malibu. And it's got, you know, all those shows with Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman and, you know, and Laura Dern and everybody's fabulously wealthy, but there's all kinds of, you know, gossip and betrayal and sometimes even murder involved. This is sort of like big little working class lies because this is a working class town I love that they filmed this in Chester County and Delaware County in Pennsylvania. We really feel like we're there. And Kate Winslet's Mayor Sheehan, she was the high school basketball star 25 years ago. And her life ever since then hasn't quite been what she thought it would be. Now there's a murder and there's a kidnapping and there's romance and betrayal and murder. There's a there's a sequence that's almost straight out of the silence of the lambs. There's a lot going on in this town. Let's take a listen to the mayor of East Town. But first, my friend and partner, Ro Khan, 
has a few words about Portillo's. Let me tell you about our friends at Portillo's, the finest fast casual experience you're going to have in all of dining. Portillo's, you know, not just hot dogs. A lot of you know when it started in Chicago, people were like, "Oh, it's a hot dog shop." Oh wait, oh wait, we got we got Italian beef. Wait, we got Italian sausage. Wait, you got chocolate cake. <laughs> Oh man, it's just uh, it's just one of the great experiences you can have, and I, I think I just said this a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. If you live somewhere where Portillo's is new in California, Arizona, parts of Florida, check it out. Go have the chocolate cake. You get a little slice of home if you're from the Midwest, you're from Chicago, or you're from the East Coast too, because you know that that food will be very familiar to you as street food. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be so heavy. It's not. Mm. And can I just tell you something? Mm. The best thing about Portillo's mm. is that bun that they put the Italian beef on yeah, yeah. that you get now when you get that dipped and it gets all wet. Yeah. That is the perfect piece of bread. Mm-hmm. And you know, carbs be damned. You can do it once a month. You're sure. not gonna hurt anything. You'll be fine. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S is how you spell that. Portillo's.com. Find a store near you or order online, and you can get it anywhere in the United States of America, Portillo's.com. I want to thank everyone for joining us to celebrate the proudest moment in East Town sports history. And finally, Miss Lady Hawk herself, Mayor Shin. See this yet? Big write-up in the Tribune. I'm going to frame it and hang it up in your office. Yeah, please, Jim. My daughter's been missing for exactly one year, and the police aren't doing anything. What's your mother doing? She's being the hero. Of all the houses my ex-husband has moved into, he has to buy the one right behind mine. Well, I've already got a really good deal on it. <laughs> really great stuff there. I guarantee you, uh, Kate Winslet will be nominated for all the awards, and I think they're going to do a second season because they tied up most of the events, they pretty much did tie up uh, all the major events, but you can just have another case with this one. So I'd love to see a season two of The Mayor of Easttown. Moving right along, we're talking about my favorite streaming series and or documentaries of 2021, and I loved Summer of Soul. Questlove, you know Questlove directed this. The summer of 1969, just before Woodstock, there was the Harlem Music Festival, and it took place over about, I think, eight weekends. And each weekend, there would be this incredible lineup of performers. Sly and the Family Stone, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, the Staple Singers, uh, The Fifth Dimension, on and on it goes. These incredible concerts in front of crowds of maybe fifty or 60,000 people. And they were all filmed for a possible television special or film documentary, a la Woodstock. But the filmmakers never found the right backers for it, unfortunately. So whereas Woodstock became celebrated and rightly so as this cultural touchstone and then this brilliant documentary that won the Academy Award and then there were anniversaries. In fact, there's a, there's an interesting documentary coming out about Woodstock uh, 99, which did not go well. Spoiler alert. We'll talk about that on screen time in a couple of weeks. But the Harlem Music Festival, all of this footage was just put in a can and put into storage. Fortunately, though, it wasn't lost to time. It wasn't destroyed. Questlove got a hold of it. The editing began. Now we're seeing a lot of this footage for the very first time. It's actually very good footage because they had multiple cameras. They were going to, you know, make this into a documentary or a television special. So you get to see these performers in front of this beautiful crowd week after week 
1969, Summer of Soul. Let's take a listen. Are you ready, black people? Are you really ready? Are you ready to listen to all the beautiful black voices, the beautiful black feeling, the beautiful black waves moving in beautiful air? Are you ready, black people? Are you ready? Nobody ever heard of the Harlem Culture Festival. Nobody would believe it happened. Just incredible stuff. I expect Summer of Soul to be nominated for Best Documentary this year. I love this one, too, an HBO Max original, that damn Michael Che. Now, you know Michael Che as the writer and, of course, co-anchor of Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live. This is a sketch comedy series that's very smart, insightful, and topical. And what I love about this is the bits here, and I've heard Michael Che talk about this, they probably wouldn't work as well on Saturday Night Live because they would be almost too jolting and they need context. So the conceit here is really smart. We see... Michael Che basically backstage setting up the sketches. He's talking to an unseen group of people, like the crew, about Black Lives Matter and about other issues happening in our world today. And he kind of sets it up. And then we go to the sketches, which are so brilliantly done. There's this ongoing sketch where he is stuck on an elevator with a white woman, Cecily Strong from Saturday Night Live. And she's a very well-meaning white liberal woman. But the longer they're stuck on the elevator, the more you see these sort of subtle prejudices and stereotypes coming through. And he's just like, oh, lady, you got to stop. And it's just brilliantly done. I think if it was a standalone five-minute skit on Saturday Night Live, it wouldn't play as well as the way it's set up on the show. We also get flashbacks to his childhood. There's a great moment where a bunch of uh, NYPD police officers on a basketball court are filming a public service announcement. That's not going to help things out. Very cutting edge, very clever. It's called That Damn Michael Che on HBO Max Original. Bless me, Father, I have sinned. So, what's troubling you, son? Everything, son. I don't know where to start. Did you guys do any looting during the protest? They blame black people for a lot of them places we don't shop at. I saw a boarded up Williams Sonoma. I was like, that's not us. <laughs> Let's just address the elephant in the room. Policing? Satan! Prison stuff. What's your password? White privilege. You might be uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> True crime series. We get them on Netflix. We get them on HBO. We get them a lot of other places. In this case, This is a Robbery is a Netflix true crime series. What I like about some of these true crime series is they'll take us into something that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago that we might not have heard a lot about. They're not always the highest profile cases, even though they were pretty well known at the time. That is the case with This is a Robbery. It's about the theft of some priceless works of art from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. This happened a very long time ago. It's still unsolved. We get the usual security footage and the archival news clippings and the audio recordings from informants and graphics and everything. Basically, two men dressed as Boston police officers broke into this museum in the middle of the night, uh, subdued the guards, and then took like a Vermeer and a Manet and some other you know valuable stuff and then a couple of things that really weren't that valuable. And the series then expands into the world of organized crime in New England in the 1990s and 2000s. Nobody has figured out who pulled off the robbery, but the theories in here are great. And the characters you meet are right out of a Scorsese movie. Have you seen these paintings? They're worth half a billion dollars and they disappeared 30 years ago. Whoever finds them will receive 
a $10 million reward. But let's go back to the beginning. Isabella Stewart Cotton Museum was a artist's delight. Millions of dollars worth of artwork. Rembrandt, Degas, Vermeer. St. Patty's Day, 1990. Two men dressed as police officers show up at the door. And they say very dramatically, gentlemen, this is a robbery. Another great documentary from 2021 is Tiger. That was on HBO. And this was a very unvarnished look at the life and times of Tiger Woods. You won't be surprised to hear that Tiger did not participate in this because it wasn't going to be this glowing profile. I think it's a fair treatment. I think it's a journalistically sound treatment. It goes all the way back to his childhood when he became this prodigy and you'd see him on TV performing these great feats and his father, who was his best friend and groomed him, but a hundred percent also exploited him and subjected him, exposed to some pretty dark things in life, pretty young for Tiger. And then we see Tiger's incredible rise to stardom. Uh, then we see how he became packaged as this, you know, uh, spokesman for so many companies obviously and was pulling in incredible amounts of money revolutionizing the game of golf people that weren't even into golf if tiger was in contention on sunday would tune in and then they get into how he got into the vegas nightlife scene and the scandals and the injuries and the comeback uh brilliantly done this might be the kind of series too where they'll do a follow-up because of course tiger was in that horrific car crash uh, not that long ago. I don't know if he's ever going to golf again, but uh, an incredible life, an incredible look at his life. Daddy, Daddy. When Tiger was 10 months old, I unstrapped him out of his high chair one day and he walked over and hit the ball. Woo. There it is. I said, oh my God, I've got something special. I think Earl had the master plan since Tiger started walking. He asked me to ask his dad if he could play some other sports. But Mr. Woods said he had to concentrate on his golf. Okay, rounding out and finishing off our list of the best movies, TV series, and documentaries of 2021. When it comes to series, of course, there's WandaVision. Another example of the Marvel Universe where we get two characters that were interesting but not lead, lead characters. Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda and Paul Bettany's Vision. So they get their own series, which is kind of cool, actually. Um, this starts off as this pitch-perfect parody of uh, 50s and 60s sitcoms, and there's a little bit of Twilight Zone. And then we go off into some crazy stuff that, you know, fits in with the Marvel Universe, but also works as a standalone. Let's take a listen to a clip from WandaVision. It's twilight time. Wanda and Vision. Oh, we have five pets. This is our home now. I want us to fit in. Oh, this is gonna be a gas. Where did you two move from? How long have you been married? And why don't you have children yet? Our story. I think what my wife means to say is that we moved from... Moved from where? Married when? Damn it, why? Oh, Arthur, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Really just brilliant stuff. And Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, I think, just do a marvelous job of playing so many different layers with these characters. You know, whether they're pretending to be this happily married couple, well, they are happy at some point and all their secrets, and then dealing with outside forces. So uh, really, really clever and beautifully done. The production design, and cinematography, all of that, the sets, uh, the makeup, everything in WandaVision is really, really impressive. So we're off to a great start. 
in 2021. This is Screen Time with Ro Khan and Richard Roper. This was just me. Thanks for hanging with me this week, guys. Ro will be back soon. And as always, the Ro and Roper podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Please remember to tell your friends about Screen Time. Appreciate you listening. Subscribing is even better. I'm Richard Roper, and we'll talk soon.